You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. All right, now is when we have the mass exodus. Children, um, if you are in kindergarten this year, will you stand up? If you're in kindergarten, you're short. I can't tell if you're standing. Um, You can go to Children's Church if you are in kindergarten or above. So you may all head out to the Children's Church. Your leaders are going to exodus with you guys, so maybe ahead of you guys. Kindergarten and up. The kids had been doing a mission study throughout the course of the summer, and now we're back to our kids' worship program for the fall It's a great curriculum. They're going to be learning some excellent stuff. They basically do church for them downstairs, and it's fantastic. Everything that we do, light. Uh, Everything that we do up here, they do down there, and uh, it's absolutely wonderful. That thinned us out. That was amazing. All right, last week, we were not here. Um, We were at the the lake down um, in the rain, enduring the bugs, um, and for those of you that won't, weren't with us because of the rain or the bugs or illness, all of those kinds of things, we're going to do a brief recap so that you can get caught up with us because we are in the gospel of Matthew. And uh, last week we were in uh, chapter, the tail end of chapter 11, and uh, this week we're going to be in chapter 12. So I'm just going to recap briefly for you um, the tail end of chapter 11 so that we can be on the same page for this morning. So chapter 11, uh, wow. 27 through 30. That's a loud seaplane. Here we go. Here's the recap. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So come to me, says the Son, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we talked about this last week around the fire. I talked about these two things. That Christ came to give us rest from hard hearts. Those which are encased by sin. The sin which we go we like more uh, than we don't like. So we're going to keep our sin rather than repent of it. Those are the hard hearts. Or heavy hearts. Those that are overcome by the trials of life. Finances and marriages and relationships and children and all of the things that go into life that weigh us down. And Jesus says, listen, I can give you rest from those things. I can alleviate the weight of your sin and I can alleviate the weight of the burdens of the life that you have. But as he was talking about this, he was in and amongst a crowd of um, Leaders, And it was kind of setting up for what was going to happen next. See, Jesus talked about rest, and then he continued to talk about rest in chapter 12, which is where we are today. And he made a statement that the Pharisees didn't know how to handle. He says this in in chapter 12, all things are given unto me. Um, It says that in chapter 11, sorry. All things are given over to me. And the Pharisees aren't quite sure what to do with a statement of that authority. So it's going to be a struggle for them. 
He says, all things are given over to me, which includes our sin, which includes the struggles of our life, but it also includes the law. The Pharisees are going to run headlong into something they weren't quite sure what to do. Matthew picks up this story with the Pharisees challenging Jesus on the Sabbath, the importance of the Sabbath. And what they're going to be doing is challenging his lordship. They're not talking about Sabbath. They're talking about, are you really authoritative enough to do what you're doing? Are you really the Messiah? And they're just going to poke him in the chest and say, we don't think you are. We don't think that all things have been handed over to you. We don't think that you have that authority. See, the Pharisees are legalistic, and they're passionate about their laws and their religion. But Jesus is full of grace, and he's passionate about the kingdom of God and seeing people have life change and rest. But before we continue, before we dive into um, this challenge that the Pharisees give him, we need to understand the Sabbath like Jews would understand the Sabbath because American Sabbath is not the same as Jewish Sabbath. And so in order to understand why the Pharisees were so angry, we need to kind of put our, our Pharisee hat on, become like a Jew in the days of Jesus, and understand some cultural significance here. First and foremost... Sabbath was the most important ritual day in Judaism. It was the most important ritual. It was a day of rest and spiritual um, enrichment. We might say the same today, right? The word Sabbath comes from the root words, which means to cease, to end, and literally to rest. Okay, So they were taking this very literally. It is the only ritual observance that was instituted by the Ten Commandments. The great Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the law, okay? It's the only ritual observance that was instituted by that. It's the commandment number four. You shall honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. It is considered to be the most important special day in Jewish culture. Even above the day of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement the day where your sins were forgiven, the day the goat died instead of you in Jewish history. Sabbath was more important than the forgiveness of sins in Jewish culture. To observe that day was more important than Yom Kippur. Now, in modern America, we take a five-day work week on average, right? It's what our culture is used to. We've got Monday through Friday, and then we've got Saturday and Sunday. Schedules can be different, but generally speaking, that's kind of how things are run. Um, It's a radical concept. We forget, then, what Sabbath was in ancient days. There was no weekend in the ancient days of Judaism. Weekly rest had no parallel in any ancient civilization. Leisure was for the wealthy and the wealthy only. The ruling classes got to enjoy leisure because... Other people were working for them. They had slaves and labor classes, and they never got rest because the ruling class needed them to continually serve, needed them to continually work. In fact, the Greeks thought the Jews were lazy for insisting on a holiday, getting one day out of seven for rest. The Greeks thought the Jews were lazy. But God commanded, take that day and rest, one of seven. It's more holy than anything else. 
Now, as a side note, our modern weekend, Friday and Saturday, is the culmination of Sabbath. Um, down through time, Sabbath traditions. Jews celebrate Friday evening through Saturday evening, right? But Jesus came and then died and then rose, and he rose on a Sunday. And so early Christians celebrated their Sabbath on a Sunday. And so then you've got Saturday and Sunday, and you fast forward through time a little bit, and we've got people that have moved to the New World America, and you've got people who are Christian of tradition and people who are Jewish of tradition, and you've got a whole nation that's trying to figure out how we can work together um, in factories and farmlands and all these kinds of things. And they're like, we want Saturdays. We want Sundays. Let's just give you both. And so now we have our weekend, Saturday and Sunday, developed because of the two Sabbath uh, conflict there. So we get both. So aren't we thankful to the Jewish tradition of Saturday Sabbath, the Christian tradition of Sunday Sabbath, and now we have our weekend. So there you go. Um, So that's how we get this. Here's what we need to know about the Sabbath. It says in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath. To keep it holy. Some translations might say, remember the Sabbath to sanctify it. It's something that you're continually doing. You're continually remembering the Sabbath. This does two things. Because remember isn't like you get a pop-up reminder on your calendar. Okay, Remember is more than just not forgetting. It's remembering the significance of the day. It could read, remember the significance of Sabbath to keep it holy. And it was significant for two reasons, creation and freedom. These are the two reasons they were commanded to remember. Creation, first of all. In the fourth commandment, God created the heavens and the earth. It says that in the creation epic. And it says, God created all of the days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. So in the fourth commandment, it says God created and then rested on the seventh day. And that seventh day was holy. Therefore, you need to rest from creative works. By resting, we acknowledge that God is the creator and has sole authority over all things. Jews would submit themselves to the authority and the example of God. He rested from creating. Therefore, Jews would rest from creating. This is how they viewed it. Otherwise, Jews would be saying... I know God created for six days and rested on the seventh, but my work is more important than God's work. I can't set aside my work. My work is more important, so I won't rest. And no Jew would ever say that because that would be, I mean, it would be blasphemy. You just would not say that. They would rest because God rested from created work. But they would also rest as a, commemoration from freedom from Egypt. This is when God set them free from slavery. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses restates the commandments and notes that God brought forth the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Therefore, they should keep the Sabbath day of rest as a day that they remember. They did not get rest at one point. They were slaves to another nation, and there was no rest for them while they were in Egypt. But God rescued his children from slavery. And so resting on the Sabbath reminded the Jews that they were free in God. They had freedom from slavery and they were no longer oppressed. So they did it because they needed to remember that God created and then rested. So there should be a time of rest from work. Also because they were freed from their slavery and, uh, and Jews were also freed from their slavery. 
not just from Egypt, but down through time, from the slavery of obligations that comes up through the week. Anybody have their schedule run them before? Okay. We need a break from that. So this was a break from the weekday concerns, the schedules, the commitments, the obligations, the things that weren't work-related, but the pressures, the things that enslave us throughout the week. It's a day to turn the cell phones off and the television off and just kind of unplug, okay? That's what they were saying, get free from slavery. But Jews were also commanded to observe the Sabbath to keep it holy. Observe the Sabbath. Um, To observe meant... uh, to, to rest and not work. See, we would, um, in America, our word work means something different. We think of work like the thing that we go to, the job that we go to. Jews used the term differently. The, um, the, the Torah, the law, would say work was melaka. That would be the word for it. And it was creative work. Anything that would exercise control or dominion over your your life, your area, your sphere of influence. And the Torah prohibited melaka, this type of creative work, because God did the creative work, right? And then he rested from it. Therefore, no Jew should do creative work. Um, This word um, is the word that was used when God created the heavens and the earth. It is only used in that context and in the context of Sabbath in Scripture. So it's a, it's a word that carries a significance. And Jews developed a list of 39 forbidden acts of melakah, things you cannot do on the Sabbath. And they are, listen to these, I'm going to quiz you later. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't have them on the thing, so just listen. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, Threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning wool, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing two stitches, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, curing hides, flaying hides, salting meat, scraping hides, cutting hides, writing two letters, erasing two letters, building, tearing down a building, kindling a fire, extinguishing a fire, hitting with a hammer, taking an object from a private domain to a public place, or transporting an object in a public area. You may not do any of those things on the Sabbath. I'm out of breath. All of those things were prohibited by the law as well as any other task that operated with the same purpose of exercising creation, control, or dominion over your area. Get this. Can't tie your shoelaces on the Sabbath. Right? You can't make food on the Sabbath. You can't, Jews today, operate a car on the Sabbath for two reasons. One, um, the, uh, well, at least it used to be when there was a combustion engine kind of thing going on, you know, and they had different kinds of, it would technically be considered starting a fire and extinguishing a fire. They weren't allowed to drive. But also, if you were going to be driving, you are then transporting things from a private domain to a public place, and you are not allowed to do that either. So the law has these burdens on Sabbath, right? Things you cannot do. I would be scared to do anything but just sit, because... (laughs) 
I, I would, I'd be worried about breaking the law. Here's the only caveat. Any of these could be violated if necessary to save a life. So if there was a life in danger, you could break the law, save the life, but then you'd have to go and repent for that because you still broke the law. Um, okay? So now that you understand Sabbath as a general whole, like the Pharisees did, let's read what Jesus and his disciples were doing, and let's play a game called Find the Violation. Okay? This will be fun. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture, and when you hear a violation of Sabbath law, would you just shout out or raise your hand or make some sort of noise so that uh, I know to stop? Okay? Um, here's what we go. We're at uh, Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. What, what, what's the violation? No, no plucking, no walking? Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is good. Okay, There are actually four violations in that verse. Um, this is interesting. Um, so, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. It is against the law of Sabbath. To reap, to winnow, to thresh, and to prepare a meal. And all of that is pick, rub it in your hands to, you know, get the husks off. And that's against the law on Sabbath. Okay, so here we have lawbreakers, horrible lawbreakers. Okay, when the Pharisees, oh wait, let me, do I have anything else here? Okay, but when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what's not right on the Sabbath. Can you just picture this? This is what I... That's what I picture. I picture that from the Pharisees. I picture them, their pointed finger, right at the disciples, and, and they get right up at Jesus and they say, Look, your disciples are doing what's not right on the Sabbath. Shame. I do that to my dogs when they do something they shouldn't. Shame. And they know it. They put their little heads down. So they, this, is, this is the Pharisees shaming the disciples. They objected as if to say, we caught you breaking the law. And Jesus, you're a bad rabbi. You're a sinner on the Sabbath, the most holy day of observance, and you're not even reigning your disciples in. In fact, he was probably eating too. You're breaking the most important day of observance because in first century Judaism, rest meant above all else observing the Sabbath. Ceasing, ceasing from all work on the seventh day of the week. And it was one of the most distinctive badges of Jewish life, along with circumcision and dietary laws. You just don't mess with these things. This is who you are and how you live. And if you're a rabbi, you're supposed to lead people to follow the law. And Jesus, in their estimation, was not. So they thought they had found a way to discredit Jesus. Remember, there was a turning point a few chapters back where Jesus realized, if I continue on this path and I ask my disciples to go with me, it's going to start getting difficult. People are not going to like the things I'm going to be saying about the kingdom, but the kingdom of God is too great for me not to say them. It will eventually end up in his arrest, betrayal, and death. He said, I've got to do it. But here we start to see some of that persecution firsthand. Chapter, or verse 3. Jesus said to them, 
Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? He entered the house of God. He ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat or lawful for those who were with him to eat. It was only good for the priests. Or have you not read in the law about how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath, yet they're guiltless? I love Jesus. See, here they think they got him. They're like, ha ha, you broke the law on Sabbath. And Jesus is like, but haven't you read in the law where, here's two examples, where this has happened before and it was permissible. And let me, let me school you, Pharisees, is kind of what Jesus is doing. Because if you are so into the law, well, didn't you read this part? Haven't you seen this part? Jesus does not reply by arguing that the Pharisees have gone beyond the law because the Pharisees are right. The law does say those things. But what he does do is cite scripture to justify his actions. In 1 Samuel 21, David was held blameless when he ate the bread that was reserved for priests only because his life was in danger. He was starving. If you go and you read that story, you'll find out why. Great story. 1 Samuel 21. Okay? Now, but anyway, he and his friends were starving, and that was the food that was at hand. And so he basically, I mean, it would be like communion is all set up, and you walk into church, and you're like, I'm starving. Om nom. Make a sandwich and eat all of that. It was considered that disrespectful. Um, and David walked in and did that and was um, considered blameless because his life was in danger. Remember, you can break the law if to save a life. He also demonstrates that the priests who work in the temple actually break the law every Sabbath because they are offering sacrifices, which includes things like sacrificing, um, cutting an animal open. I mean, all the things that I listed before, they, they break like half those things. Um, so they break the law on the Sabbath, and they're the priests. They're the ones that are supposed to be, you know, holy and not sinning. But there they are, breaking the law. But God says they're guiltless because they're doing the work of the Lord for the good of others, which is the atoning of sins. And so then Jesus continues the line of logic here. He says, listen, there's precedent for what has been done here today, eating grain in the field. But I want to go one step further. I want to challenge your understanding of the law. I tell you, he says in verse 6, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the Pharisees are just like mind blown because earlier he was saying everything's been given unto me and now he's saying he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Like he gets to say what happens on Sabbath. So if he wants to tie his shoes on Sabbath, he can. And if he wants to pick grain with his disciples, he could. And if he wants to thresh some wheat, he can. No, what is he saying? The Pharisees just, it's not, it does not compute. The law has prescribed ways of doing things always. And Jesus busts in and is like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and this is okay now. It's okay to do this. We're not dying. We're just enjoying a meal. We're not starving to death, but it's permissible to eat because we're hungry. There is something greater than the temple. And Jesus is saying, listen, you are missing out by adhering so strictly to the law when the Lord of the Sabbath is giving you grace to enjoy. 
Jesus' sovereign authority will determine how the Sabbath is fulfilled in the kingdom age. Right? So, his sovereign will is not arbitrary. It's based on God's priorities of putting compassion above ritual, which the law inverts because the law would say, let's do ritual over compassion. Let's keep the law before we help someone else out. If your life is not implicitly in danger, we will not help you because the law does not permit us to do those kinds of things. And Jesus says, listen, in the kingdom, things are a little bit different on Sabbath. Kingdom rest is a little bit different with me. It's okay to eat if you're not starving to death. I would rather enjoy a graceful, peaceful meal with you than um, yell at each other over laws. Um, His words suggest very clearly that the fourth commandment is fulfilled right there in that moment with Jesus. That the Sabbath laws need to no longer be observed literally. Jesus says, listen, you've got the fourth commandment, observe and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, I am Lord of the Sabbath, and that is fulfilled in your hearing, as he might have said elsewhere in Scripture. And so now things can, things can be a little bit different. I want to give you rest from the burden of the law. Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, is Lord of rest. He came to set us free from the burdens of the law. And the Pharisees were missing the point because the law created work and slavery. And they were tied to it. And it created this burden that day in and day out they had to keep the law. And if they didn't keep the law, then they had to go atone for the, the mistakes that they had made. And Jesus says, I'm Lord of Sabbath. I'm Lord of rest. I want to give you rest from this system that you've created. Um, and coming to Jesus provides rest for the whole of the life. And the whole of the law and the people who held the law very, very close to them didn't know how to let go of it. And it enraged the Pharisees to the core. But Jesus, to fulfill the prophecy um, in Isaiah, which he talks about in 15 through 21 in this chapter, he's not going to pick a fight. So he kept his mouth shut and he says, okay, I've said my piece. I'm just going to walk on. I'm going to let them steam and stand here in the grain fields. And so he went on from there. Okay? He went on from there, and he entered the synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand, and they asked him, the Pharisees are stalkers. I mean, um, they got mad at him in the grain field, and so he left, and they followed him to the synagogue, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. This was a setup. This was like a, hey, we know... uh, We know good old Hank, he's got the withered hand, he's always at synagogue, he's always there on Sabbath. We'll follow Jesus. When Jesus goes to synagogue, we'll bring forward Hank, the man with the withered hand, and we're going to say, hey, is it lawful to heal this man on Sabbath? And we'll get him. We'll get him publicly in the synagogue, and it'll be great. Pharisees have got got some problems. So they entered the synagogue on Sabbath. The Pharisees see this opportunity to prove to everyone at worship that Jesus is a bad rabbi who doesn't follow the law and shouldn't be followed himself. And so they ask a trapping question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they wait for him to say yes or no because they want to publicly accuse him in the church on Sabbath of breaking the holy Sabbath law. 
The only correct answer to them was no. It is not lawful to heal on the Sabbath. You must wait until Sabbath has ended to heal this man, even if you can, is kind of what they would be saying. So Jesus responds. I love Jesus. He says this. Which one of you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is man than sheep? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. And the Pharisees went out from there and conspired against him on how to destroy him. And so it begins. Now, again, we need to note, Jesus is confronted, so he responds with what? Scripture. He responds with Scripture. The law permits that livestock... This is the funniest picture I've ever seen of a sheep stuck in a hole. Um, The law permits that livestock and working animals can be rescued if they've fallen into a pit or into mud on the side of the road, lest they die because um, it's important that you have your livestock because they're your working animals, and that's how you gain your living. So the law says that's very important. You can help your sheep out. You can help your oxen out because you need them the rest of the days of the week. But Jesus says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest. He says, man is more valuable than sheep. Man is more valuable than oxen. In the hierarchy of the creation, animals were good. Man was very good. The law had inverted something, and Jesus was saying, Lord of the Sabbath can put the priorities in the right order. It is important that this man's hand be healed on Sabbath. In public view of everyone at worship, Jesus healed the man. The man's life was not in danger. The man could have gone another day with a withered hand. But Jesus says, listen, I am coming to bring rest. And this man needs rest. He needs rest from a withered hand, a physical ailment. I can do it now. I don't have to wait. Why would I wait? That's just mean. So the Pharisees left angry. And the public conspiring, which would lead to his betrayal and death, began. See, the Pharisees valued law so much that they were willing and eager to see someone suffer for another day just so they could keep the law. They were willing and eager to take Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, and see him killed so that they could keep their law. They're all about their comfort zone. They're all about their laws. They're all about the way they want to live and not the way Jesus is offering them, a great new kingdom, which is free from the burdens of the law. Now, here's a question. We're not Jewish. So what's the point? I asked myself this very question as I was studying this passage. I said, I'm not Jewish, God. So, like, I don't, what, how does this get preached in a Christian context? And as I talked this over with God, I realized this has nothing to do with Sabbath observance. This has everything to do with people who hold so tightly to the way that they think religion should be done that they're not willing to see God's work in and around them and through them. 
This has everything to do with our own legalism, whether we do it as a denomination or whether we do it as individuals, that we say, I want what I want more than I want what Jesus wants for me and through me and around me. So Sabbath rest, very important. We all need Sabbath rest. Can I just leave that part there? And we go on to the parts where we hold on to our own ways of doing things. I found this cartoon. I thought it was great. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rules. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus did not come to bring rules. Jesus did not come to bring religion. Jesus came to bring relationship and rest. And those are two completely different things. And unfortunately, in our day and age, people say, but my religion is... And that has nothing to do, more often than not, with the rest and the relationship that Jesus gives. I have people ask me all the time, oh, you're Nazarene, what religion is that? <laughs> so I constantly have teaching conversations. I appreciate your question, but I don't have religion. I have a relationship with the God of the universe. And because I have relationship with God of the universe, I have rest in my life that is greater than anything else that can ever be offered. No amount of keeping of law can give me the rest that Jesus can offer me. Um, this passage is about Jesus saying, listen, each and every one of you is a little bit like a Pharisee. Okay, can I insult you like that? Because it's to me too. Each and every one of us is a little bit pharisaical. Each and every one of us has a way in which we think religion should be done. I'll make broad strokes here. You fit yourself in where you are comfortable or uncomfortable. Church should always have hymns. Church should never have hymns. Church people should always dress in dresses down to the ankles and ties. Church should not be like that. We should dress comfortable. Okay? There's some ways of religious pharisaical thinking it has to be this way or you're not doing it right you must speak in tongues or else you're not saved we don't speak in tongues at all we don't think it's biblical here's the divide again religion says one thing relationship is going to say another then there's personal legalism okay personal legalism is not what the church would impose on you theologically um, but it's what you impose upon yourself People might say, I don't ever go to movies. I don't watch TV ever. I never listen to anything but Christian radio. I stay away from all of the places where dirty, nasty sinners might be. Because I can't be a Christian and keep my religion if I'm near those kinds of things. Well, that's, that sounds like legalism because um, that's not all scriptural. That's self-imposed rule. Um, you can go too far, Right? I will always hang out with sinners. I will never hang out with Christian people because I'm so Christian. Me and Jesus are so tight that I don't need to go to church. I can just go hang out with sinners all day long and not feel the influence of it. That's not exactly right either. The balance is found in relationship with Jesus. In relationship with him, we go, well, yeah, there's a call to be holy. And there's a call to abstain from sin. But there's also a call to go and be in the world and not of the world. Um, some people take personal legalism in a really good sense. And let me put it this way. Some people choose not to drink. They say, 
for myself and my life, I choose not to drink because of a history in my family or because I just believe scripture would lead me that way. And that's great. You have that conviction. To take that conviction and to tell other people around you, if you don't follow this, you're not a good Christian, that's legalism in the bad sense. That's imposing your own law upon someone else. It could go the same way for a church I interviewed at. Um, uh, they were very, very, um, they loved Jesus. They loved the Bible, good Christian folk. But church had to be dresses to the ankles, long sleeve, high collars for the girls, you know, dresses, always in a suit for the guys. And if you weren't, there was a stigma. You were less of a Christian. That's legalism in the bad sense. That's pharisaicalism. That's missing the point of the rest and the relationship that Jesus offers you. Jesus is calling us to something greater than rules. He's calling us to relationship. We all have a little something that we would say, oh man, when I see this at church, it just gets me the wrong way because that's not how it should be. And if we're honest, we all have that. Even I do. I mean, we all have something. But we need to go listen. Those things are just preferences, personal or cultural. But when it comes down to it, the only thing that matters is that we all love Jesus, that we all glorify his name, that we all confess our sin, repent of it, and give glory to God for the forgiveness that we've received. That's the rest. Then, do we fight over carpet of color? No. Do we fight over worship styles? No. Do we fight over dress styles? No. It doesn't matter because we have rest. We know that it's not in rule that we find our rightness with God but it's in relationship with Jesus. That's where we would differ from the Pharisees, and that's where God wants to lead them. He wants to say, listen, life can be so much better if you're just willing to break a few rules. Life could be so much better if you would just let me give you rest. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It doesn't just have to be one day. It can be all the days of the week. Um, I completely went off my notes, and I have no idea what these are anymore. So here's this. Um, at the, um, at the beach, the lake last week, uh, we did this great little thing that we can't do in a sanctuary. Because if I light a fire in the sanctuary, one, I'm probably breaking Sabbath rules, okay? <laughs> two, uh, two, it will set off the fire alarm, and I've done it before and learned my lesson, so I won't do it again. Um, but what we did was we took pieces of paper, and we wrote on them the things that make our hearts hard, our sins the things that we've let go unconfessed, that put that callous over us. We wrote down things that make our hearts heavy, illness, relationship struggles, uh, financial struggles, those kinds of things. And we put them on paper and we tossed them in the fire. And we said, God's going to give us rest from these things. He says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest from those things. And we offered them to God and we said, no more. We don't want a part in the sin and we just can't handle these things on our own. And today, uh, we can add one more. While we're not going to burn it up on a fire, it can go on the prayer wall. It can go in your Bible circle and highlight it so you remember um, those things that make your heart legal. What are those things that you say, this is the law by which I live my religion, that don't quite line up with the way Jesus would say, rest, relax, enjoy relationship. It doesn't mean you get to go out and, have a free-for-all in sin, okay? 
It just means that you understand that you're not bound by laws. You're bound by grace and love, and there's a really big difference. And so this morning as we worship, if you've got a hard heart, a heavy heart, or a legal heart, those are things you can take before the Lord of the Sabbath this morning and say, I don't even know if I can pry my own fingers off of it, God. But you say you're Lord of the Sabbath, so would you do something? Would you take my withered hand and heal it? Take my withered heart and heal it? Would you fill me anew again so that I can have rest, not just on the Sabbath Sunday time when I'm at church, but all day, every day for the rest of my life? Because he is Lord of the Sabbath. He can grant that to us. Go ahead and pray. And uh, there are prayer cards in the pockets in front of you if you want to take them, or they're on the back wall as well. At any point in time during worship, you are always free to come forward, to go back to the prayer wall, to stay in your seat, and pray and worship as the Lord leads you. Father, this morning... We believe that, Father. We believe all of that. It's all scriptural. These are the things that we hold to, not rules, but the truth in you, that you love us, that you died for us, that you're calling us to something greater than our own hopes for our lives. Free us from our rules, Father, and bring us into relationship with you. We give you all the praise and all the glory for that. Here is the benediction. Christ came to bring life and life abundantly. Now that means in relationship with him, go and enjoy Jesus this week in all of his fullness. Amen? Amen. Amen.